Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payal Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payal lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org. It takes extraordinary effort to lift out of suffering and reach enlightenment. On the way, you rely on the lineage, the guru, and the knowledge of cause and result. Then, step by step, you will reach your goal. First, I'd like to say good morning. morning. Especially to all of you, which means that... All of you have been mothers at some time or another, so this is your special day, no matter what you look like now. (laughs) And for those of you that actually are mothers in this this lifetime, uh, double welcome to you. Um, But, uh, of course, according to the Buddhist teachings, all beings have been our kind mothers at one time or another. And that's how long samsara has been existing. Um, the lamas always say that at one time or another, every being we see, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, has been our own kind mother at one time and has provided us a doorway into life. And so uh, we are told that that is one of the most meaningful reasons for us to practice bodhicitta, to practice for the sake of all sentient beings, and uh, to dedicate our practice to them, as well as being kind on a day-to-day basis to one another, because that matters. I know in uh, traditional teaching, there's... um, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, at this time, in this lifetime, he teaches a great deal about having a good heart and having a a good sense of uh, connection and and, uh, a respect for all life and for understanding that having a good heart is the most important spiritual practice that one can have. Uh, even though uh, we are also taught that in order to really give benefit to sentient beings, we should practice constantly and dedicate the merit to them. And a lot of times we think that is contradictory information. And because we are contradictory people and we live in dualism, that's simply how we see it. We see it in this way, that... The lamas, you know, the, the high lamas tell us that we should simply sit, meditate, practice, don't ever get up, finish the whole thing, and then that's it. And that's exactly what you should do, except it's a little difficult in these times. And uh, it's very difficult to, oh, there are so many great stories about young young practitioners, young ones, like um, Mandurava at 16. You know, who's, who practices at 16? 
That never happens. But there are many stories of uh, young uh, uh, people who simply went into a cave and began to practice or went into some sort of retreat and began to practice way, way back when. Nowadays, you couldn't even do that because the truant officer would be after you. You have to go to school. And then for older people, uh, a lot of times it was customary to raise one's children, to do the family life, the, to live the life of a, of um, you know, a, 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 a lay person. <coughs> and then at a certain age, when your children were old enough to not only provide for themselves but maybe help out a little bit for you, then a lot of older people would simply go into retreat and prepare for the next life. They would, they would have that kind of faith that that's how you handled life. When you could practice, you practiced. And that's what it re was really all about. But of course, nowadays we have this difficulty, and it's called our modern life. And again, it's, um, it all depends how you look at it. <clears throat> because in one way, we're not in a hell realm. So there is the opportunity to practice. I mean, here's the book, here's the place, there's your head. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> so we can practice. But in another way, we have to go to work, and we, and we think, oh, you know, I've got to rest, and I'm going to do, 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 We have all our little things that we have to do, and they're all very important. Um, many of them, the things that we have to do, uh, are about surviving, you know, just making ends meet and so forth. And so we're thinking at this time the best thing to do is to get the highest possible teaching and just practice that. Except that it doesn't really work that way. Because in those same times when 16-year-olds would go into a cave or elder folk, when they completed their ordinary responsibilities, would do the same, go take teachings, and then go and meditate and prepare for the next life. Even though life was like that then, in this life, we don't have that kind of idea. We think, well, if I can just take one practice, it's almost like the 30-minute sitcom has infected us. You know, the 30-minute show that resolves everything. <clears throat> Like even American Idol, you have somebody every week that you can either laugh at or clap for. So we think, oh, it must be like that, you know, that life is just, you know, you, you grab what you can when you can. But I think we had a better understanding of Dharma in the past. And that was we understood that Dharma is like a great uh, ship crossing an ocean that is sometimes calm, because oceans can be calm, is sometimes raging, because oceans can be raging, and is sometimes, well, mostly kind of in the middle. And that's the condition of our lives. Sometimes life is sweet, sometimes life is a nightmare, and mostly it's in the middle. And so our understanding has to be that we are crossing an ocean that is unpredictable. 
And that is cyclic existence, phenomena. In crossing this ocean, even if you have the best ocean liner, and for my money, the Paiute lineage would be considered the best ocean liner. But you could say that any form of, of properly conducted and properly transmitted, properly practiced dharma uh, is the ocean liner. No matter how big that ocean liner is, it can go down. Think Titanic. It's, we know how, it, how uh, possible it is for unforeseen circumstances to simply drive us crazy, you know, or drive us into a life situation that's uh, um, disturbing or troubling or makes life difficult for us. <clears throat> Many of us have, have had that. As you get older, you can't miss it. You know, Ani's had her hand, and God, you've been through everything. <laughs> so we know how that goes. The one thing that you rely on completely and totally when you are crossing the ocean of samsara is the captain. The captain is the lama. And the reason why you rely on the captain, because the captain has certain skills and experience that can only be gotten by having crossed that ocean many, many times. So many times. So that there's experience, there's skill, there's method. And of course, of course, the method is the Dharma practice that we do. So we should think of it that way. We should think that Dharma is the most precious thing because believe me, if you were in the middle of a hurricane and your boat were going down, uh, you'd realize how precious that was. And if the only person you had to listen to in a travesty like that was your teacher telling you, get on that rubber boat, <laughs> put on the life jacket, um, you know, if, if that's the uh, that's the person, you'd be listening like this, so focused, you know, like a horse with blinders on, so focused. But unfortunately, our lives are so... Well, I have to say delusional in so many ways, so narcotic in their quality, that they leave us drunk and disoriented. It leaves us drunk and disoriented, and we forget. We don't know. Are we on a boat? Is that the ocean? Is the captain up there? Really? We sort of get confused. And it, it's kind of normal in samsara because we have not entered the door of liberation. Our, our minds have not given rise yet to the great uh, unequaled and imperturbable bodhicitta. And we look at samsara as being out there other than in, a delusory, in an illusory state. We, we see a, separate, a separation between self and other. And so seeing all of that, it's like we're, we're on a ship, yeah, but, but we're like drunk in a cartoon show at the same time. You know, not really having strong orientation. So 
in one way we're doing really well. We have we are crossing the ocean of samsara on a great ship, the great ship, best ship. And we are under the tutelage of a good captain who has crossed the ocean many, many times. And so we can we can relax in that. And well, to stretch the analogy just a little bit, um, that great captain has maybe taught us how to swim, taught us how to practice. So we're thinking, you do, we're set. <laughs> Back to the, uh, or what is that ship that went down? <laughs> Titanic, yeah. Well, back to the Titanic. Dude, that ship was set too. <coughs> Except that it wasn't. <laughs> and that's how samsara goes. So it seems that in our disorientation, we tend to fixate on something, like we say, I'll do this one practice. I'll do togyo. Or I'll do kala chakra. Or I'll do something that makes me feel really good. But we think, I don't want to spend too much time on the lesser practices that don't get um, the big uh, buildup that the lamas give when they're giving you a really super duper big practice. You know. You don't want to pay any attention to that. But what I would like to tell you is that it's so important to build a firm and perfect thoughtful foundation. Most importantly, you are, it, that is, it's needed to practice, to accumulate mantra, to actually accomplish a deity. That means how many hundreds of thousands of repetitions of that practice. Or to accomplish the three roots. To act, and in accomplishing the three roots, that's, it's like hundreds of thousands of each mantra, and then <clears throat> at the same time, you also have to, um, wh whether it's clear to you or not, you are generating the deity. And therefore, you are giving rise to the qualities of the deity. A few moments spent in clear generation of the deity with view and Vajra confidence, Vajra pride, you know? A few minutes spent in that kind of practice it outweighs years and years and years, I don't even know how to say how much time, of the blah, 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 that you have in your head right now. You know? The, the constant, constant mental vomiting we do. <laughs> Monkey in the cage, you know, all that business. It all counts, you know, it all counts. If while your mind is in a very loose, untrained state, it's filled with judgment and slothfulness, laziness, and lack of kindness, and uh, lack of regard for others, or lack of regard for life. Well, that affects you. Did you know that? It forms you. It makes you. 
And it's not a secret, because no matter how, you, how nice you act, people know. They know. They know what's really under there. So, if we take the opportunity that we're given to generate the deity in a clear and thoughtful way and to really contemplate on the qualities and the activities of that deity, well, then, we've re then we really accomplish something. For one thing, we can begin to accomplish the qualities that that deity represents. Like, say, if you're um, doing some practice concerning white Tara, well, who wouldn't want to accomplish white Tara's qualities? I mean, she's the ultimate long-life goddess. She is the mother of all the Buddhas, considered the mother of all the Buddhas. And so her qualities must be peerless. Or if one wishes to practice Gurumche, I mean, who wouldn't want to accomplish Gurumche? <clears throat> who wouldn't want to bring that to the world? And to give rise to the qualities that Gurumche has, the Vajra pride, the certainty, the purity, the kindness, the dignity and the regard, and the certainty that he was going to live not only this, but every life, every, every single appearance would be for the sake of sentient beings. Well, who want, wouldn't want to accomplish that? But in order to do so, we have to take note of how it's done. It is absolutely important to accomplish the highest practices of Dzogchen. It's exactly what the teachers have told you. It's peerless, supreme, matchless. But all this mantra, all this practicing the view, all this generating the deity, this is all part of the great Dzogchen lineage. It's not separate. You could read it in the in the in uh, your Nundro book. The the uh, long uh, Zogchen lineage prayer is there. That's how we climb the ladder. And so the people who are really successful in their deepest practice are the ones who do as much preparation, meditation, contemplation, and really and truly honestly studying the Dharma really, truly uh, taking the time out of ordinariness to generate themselves as the deity. This is the way to accomplish what you must accomplish in order to get across this ocean. Each of the deities is seen with um, different postures, different hand implements, different attitudes. It's, it's true, there are like wrathful attitudes, peaceful attitudes, semi-wrathful attitudes. <clears throat> Each of the protectors as well, they hold hand implements and different sort of gadgets and stuff. And this is just not stuff that, that you make a pretty statue with. They have meaning. They 
their meaning is a quality, um, a state of being, an emanation that we should accomplish. For instance, if we don't generate ourselves strongly as the deity with bhadra confidence, knowing that we are not only at home with the deity that we're practicing, but we are also non-dual with the deity that we're practicing. We accumulate so much mantra that we are non-dual. In that way, when you appear in your life, when um, when you have... Uh, things occur to you that you habitually act in a certain way about or towards, you can begin to make the changes that you need to change. For instance, if you're, if you're practicing a form of Tara, one form of Tara, but Tara is where she makes the three precious jewels, Mudra, but at the same time, she's like this. Peace. Be still. I am here. Now, what if you could do that? What if you could calm the boiling waters of samsara and say, peace, be still, I'm here? Sounds like something out of, a, uh, like out of an old movie, doesn't it? Starring Ben-Hur, no, wait. <laughs> but, that's, but this is what we're in the game for. We wish to attain liberation. We wish to attain Buddhahood. We don't want to just hang out with, uh, you know, wearing red sheets. (laughs) What is that? We have great clothes here in America. (laughs) So... I feel like in our lineage we have an amazing family connection here that's so beautiful and so wonderful, and I love that about our lineage, and I feel that way about the elders in in this lineage. I think about His Holiness as Big Daddy. He's Big Daddy Payul. And if he says, get to the top and and practice the Trek Chod and the Togyo, I'm going there. But then there's me, and I'm the mommy. (laughs) And I say that, yes, you should do what Daddy says, absolutely. But in the moments when you're not doing that, do what I say. And that is, not only put on your socks and shoes and your gloves and your coat and all that stuff, get put on your spiritual armor. Use the opportunity of deity generation and practice in order to accomplish what your goals are for you. You want to give rise to the bodhicitta. You want to give rise to the deathless vajra body. Whoa, we even have the practice to do that. And... We want to, not only that, we want to subdue and overcome our own natural samsaric poisons, which are our habitual tendencies in samsara. And the tendencies I'm talking about are the ones that you are training 
to overcome, hopefully. In some cases, maybe just hiding. But in other cases, I hope training to really overcome. And that's hatred, greed, ignorance, jealousy, warring pride, fear. Did I say fear? Anyway, those kinds of qualities. That is what we use generation stage practice to perfect ourselves with. To accomplish getting to a place where when we begin to do the, the deeper Dzogchen practices, the way has been made clear. Channels, winds, and fluids are clear. We are ready. We have qualities. We're different. We're changed. <coughs> We're ready to jump into the deep end because we know how to swim. Jumping into the deep end is not such a good idea when you don't know how to swim. And I've seen it for myself. <clears throat> I'm seen, I've seen students that would go in a prideful way. They didn't realize it was prideful because they felt great devotion for the Lama. But there was a kind of inner pridefulness that said, I'm ready, I'm going to take the biggest teaching. I want, I'm going to wallop the heck out of it. You know, and I, I'm just, I'm just going to sit in, sit in the lotus position and never come out. And of course that never happens. Why does that never happen? Because you take the big teachings and you sit and then life changes. Life says, oh no, I have to work a little more. Or, oh no, one of my children is, this is happening or that's happening or, you know, my house is falling down or time for a new car or something like that. Life kind of gets you off track as it does. Uh, distractions, got family problems. And so while your intention was to sit there in a lotus position in your room and not come out till you were done, just like Big Daddy said, why hasn't it happened that way? Because you didn't do the preparation work. You have to gather merit. The interesting thing about being on the path, that while you're on the path and practicing, you are gathering merit. But it also takes merit to be on the path and to practice. So that if you fall off the wagon, so to speak, and forget to practice, stop practicing, life gets thicker, thicker, thicker. And then when you get back to the books, you go, I'm not even interested in this anymore. Suddenly, life has just taken a turn, and you don't even know it. Or you sit down to your books, and it's, it's like... Um, Okay, two hours, and then I'm going to go do something else. So hurry up. And, and so your practice becomes, I wouldn't say worthless. It's never worthless, but I would say kind of hopeless, not very deep. It's not going to change, not going to put you where you want to be spiritually. So the thing to do is to gain gain not only Vajra confidence and to give rise to these good qualities, but to build a good, strong foundation of merit. 
it's so important to do it just the way they've always done it. For instance, I know some of my students, in fact, have gone on to the highest teachings, haven't even come close to finishing Nundro. Haven't even come close. And I'm sorry, because I think, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a dirty secret. I think it's an unfortunate loss of an opportunity. That as your spiritual mother, I must say to you, go back. Redo. Finish it. And if you're not satisfied with your progress, do another one. I don't know how many Nundros His Holiness has done, but what was it? Uh, Doji Rinpoche did like, I don't know, 20 or something? I, some crazy number. I don't think I know the number, but I may be misspeaking, but it was like... 23. Was it 23? Yeah. Sounds right. And he was in pretty good shape when he started. <laughs> so what do you think his motivation was? Sure, he was dedicating all of the practices to sentient beings, but he was being he was being the very display of Guru Rinpoche. Showing us this is how you rise from the muck of samsara as a gorgeous lotus. And then how, what happened at the end of his life? Nirvana, miraculous signs, of course, again. Then he returns. Now he's a little monk. I think he's probably doing the same thing right now. And we sit around and go, you know, but I'd really like to do the heavier stuff. <laughs> you know, because I, I did some mantra and I'm way past that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't think that should happen to you. I don't think you should get that prideful and that stupid and that dishonest with yourself. And so as your, as your mom, on mom's day, I want to tell you that you should put in the time. It is a worthy, I, I, I do. I do. I practice every day. My stomach's crumbling. <laughs> It's practicing too for, for some lunch. <laughs> But I practice every day, and I do so because if I don't, I am different. And I see it. I see it. Focus changes. Something starts subtly. It starts in a subtle way. You're at a point where, okay, you're turning this way a little bit. You're not practicing. But, you know, you can get back there. You can still get back there. Book's right there. You're right here. What generally happens is, you know that analogy I've used before of oil on water and how you can just blow it with your breath. and the, it's, it's like the very winds of karma blowing us around, blowing our mind streams in different directions. It's kind of like what happens when you don't practice. You don't realize it, but gently, gently, that particular stream starts to go in another direction, and you don't realize it. 
you don't realize it at all until you try to get back. And something pops up to keep, keep you from your path. And then as you try to get back again, something else comes up to keep you from your path. And then as you try again, something else comes up. And something will continue to come up until you, with great strength and devotion and spiritual fervor, determination, and a willingness to benefit sentient beings, a thirst to do so, you have to swim back like crazy in order to get back. Many, many people I, I know have left the path thinking that they had things to take care of and they'd be back. You know? I'm really into this, but right now I've got to go do something else. Or they, they just think, well, this is another section of my life. Later on, I get back to the spiritual part. They never get back. Rinpoche used to say, um, in our delusion, uh, we uh, swim so far out, thinking, oh, this is fun, this is fun, we're in the water, we're swimming. Swim so far out that you can't find your way back anymore. There's no more land. You, there's no land. And so there we are drowning in the ocean of samsara, and we don't even realize it. We think we're swimming. The opportunity to practice and the merit to do so are the two most perfect, peerless treasures that you have. And although it's okay to lose an arm or a leg, you'll be all right. Don't lose that. Don't lose the merit and determination to practice. And I find that for myself, even at you know whatever my stage is, if I have a good practice, it's a good long one, and I was really there with it, you know, not thinking, oh, you know, I got to cut the dog's toenails or whatever, you know, not thinking like that, you know, <laughs> quick, hurry up. I want to go downstairs. I'm tired of sitting here. When I that, when I don't when I have a good practice and I'm really there, it's just the day is glory. It's glory, no matter what happens. To me, that's just been my experience. And the, the days when I'm just barely keeping Samaya, it's different. You know, I've come to understand that practicing quietly in my own time, in my own space, is my gorgeous opportunity to be with the one that I love, the Samboga Kaya Lama. So that's my opportunity. And so I'm, I go there for comfort, for strength for direction. And, um, and I pray a lot. 
You know, I pray the way the books teach me, but I also pray from my heart. And I do ask for help. I get it. I ask for inspiration. I get it. I ask for strength to keep going. I get it. But I feel that that constant building of a storehouse of merit is what makes this a precious human rebirth. And, and we shouldn't have rigid ideas about what that should look like either. It's very, very wonderful, for instance, to practice a mantra, even contemplate, or practice giving rise to the bodhicitta, or practicing view, when you're out and about doing things. Beautiful. Whatever you're doing, it makes it so much better. And even if you go to see something very beautiful, you see like the Blue Ridge Mountains or, you know, something. Oh, this is so beautiful. I'm so glad to be here at this perfect time. Most of us think in our ordinary habits, that's my beautiful time. I'm having this beautiful time. But instead, what if you were to offer what you see as a great mandala to the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and most especially to the Sambhogakaya Lama? What if you were to do that? Two ways to enjoy that beautiful scene and to gather some merit at the same time. And so I think the trick here is, yes, accomplish the most profound practices. You betcha. Get on that the minute you can. But lay a good foundation and live a good life. These things are equally as important. And in fact, you can hardly have one without the other. You have to be steadfast in your practice and honest in your regard for the Dharma and for the captain of the ship has to be uh, flawless. In other words, you, you the minute you catch yourself having an ordinary thought, you think, go back and remember the analogy of the great ship and the ocean of suffering. And what happens when you're a smart guy and just swim away? Try to remember that above all, as Buddhists we learn, cause and result. This is not a magical path. Although it seems magical in its benefit, it seems magical in what, the, what you see. It's beautiful. Look at these great tankas. It's just beautiful. But we're not thinking magical thinking. We're not saying, if I do this and this, then this will come from out there. We don't think like that. <coughs> we think cause and result. If we practice in a certain way, then we gain the result of that practice. If we give rise to bodhicitta, then we experience love. 
If we wait to love, for love to come for us, from us, from the out, to us from the outside, we will never experience the bodhicitta. We will experience waiting. And so, our job then is to be conscious, step by step, bit by bit. Don't just like fall across the deck of this great ship. You know, be careful. Watch your steps. Where are you? Concentrate. Try to remember that it's about cause and result. And even if people don't know that you are having maybe hateful thoughts inside your mind, they can't tell because you're not saying it out loud. Well, first of all, it's not true. We can all tell, especially your teacher. But others can tell, too. They don't know that they can tell. But they, we all have each other's number. We read it. We should understand and take responsibility for our own poisons. It's not for somebody else to change us. In the same way that no one can die for us or die with us and stay in the same place. That is our responsibility. When we die, we will die with the habits that we have created, with the merit that we have stored, with the wisdom that we have gained, and if we have bothered to give rise to the bodhicitta in the space of bodhicitta. That's how we will die, and that's how we will be reborn. But if we haven't done any of these things, and we're simply waiting for life to work out, or waiting for someone to give us more love, or more money, or more satisfaction in some way. That's it. What did you learn during your whole life except waiting? So you live and die in that kind of condition. We understand as Buddhists that the causes that we create will bring result. That's good news if you're practicing Dharma, and bad news if you're not practicing Dharma. But mostly the, the main thought is that Buddha is in the palm of your hand. Just like it says in our lineage prayers. In the same way that you can't figure out where yourself is, is it in your hand? Maybe it's in your eyes. Up, up your nose, <laughs> in your ear. Where is yourself? Well, we don't know where that is, but we do know that the Buddha nature is all-pervasive. And that you have been given this opportunity to gather merit, break through, and accomplish. And I'm asking you not to waste it on stupid stuff prideful ideas that you can only practice at a certain level, you know, and and, and thinking, oh, I'll, I'll sit on my little cushion, uh, but, you know, the temple could rot around me. I'm not going to clean it, you know, and, 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 you know, people could starve and die right next to me. Animals could be beaten right next to me or be put to death right next to me. It's not a damn thing I'm going to do about it. That's not Buddhism. Buddhism talks about extraordinary effort and ordinary human 
kindness as well. So we have many opportunities with this. I have made sure <laughs> that we have many opportunities <laughs> to serve, to benefit others. I remember one time when Atira was really little. Excuse me. <laughs> she was really scared of spiders. Still well, yeah, but not as bad. You don't know the screams. <laughs> there was a certain scream that Atira would make that was a spider scream. It was like ear splitting. It was the come fast, I'm dying scream. <laughs> But eventually she learned that little bugs were little creatures and that they were deserving of um, compassion as well. And then she even tried to work with some of her fear about spiders by understanding that they are totems. And so whenever she sees a spider, she thinks, oh, there must be a message. So that's pretty cool. But most of all, what she learned to do was to respect little buggies and thingies like that as beings who have within them the Buddha nature as well. So while other kids would squish bugs and stuff like that, she would pick them up oh so carefully and carry them outside and blow oh money ped me hung on them and then go whoa all the way in. <laughs> but she would take them outside and blow oh money ped me hung and give them, you know, some kind of blessing. And I remember thinking that. It's so amazing when we do this sort of practice. We think it's just a cute thing that you teach the kids, and it makes them have respect for life, and it's just nice that we do that. But I could see, lifetime after lifetime, in times of tr real trouble, real travail, that method will carry through. And just as she saved that sentient being and blessed it, the day will come when some being will come and pull her out of a hole. Save her. Bless her. And I know um, for myself, uh, I always try to make sure the creatures around me are fed and watered and cared for to the distraction of many of the people that help me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really try to you know, be aware of my environment. I mean, like, if, if a plant is dry in my house, it screams at me. I'm like, I can't even sit down until I water this plant. I mean, this to the dismay of my, of my handlers. Believe me. <laughs> but that's it, you know. I, um, in my life, there are many people that are kind to me and care for me, and I, I never have to go without, you know, I'm always warm and comfortable, and or cool and comfortable, and and uh, I don't really worry about, you know, I don't worry about, like, retiring or old age. First of all, moms never do that. <laughs> we just go into retreat and disappear, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> but I don't, I don't believe in the concept of retirement, first of all, and um, I, I just don't understand that kind of thinking. And um, so I, in my life, I, I know that I will be cared for. 
I mean, I know it because I've created the causes. I don't know how it will come. I don't know whether some fabulous person is going to buy a life insurance policy for me or something. <laughs> or what? But I'll be, it'll be fine. And I'm not saying that in a stupid way. I'm not saying that like a bliss ninny that says, you know, it's all good. Life is all good. I'm not saying that. I practice Dharma. I practice Dharma every day. I take care of beings every day. Always have. My predecessors have, too. They were known for caring for birds and animals and stuff like that. So I'm not worried. I believe in that ship. I believe in that captain. I myself have taken the trip many times. And it doesn't trouble me. As long as I continue to increase the merit and to create good habits and to eliminate poisons and to benefit beings, I'm content. And that's the way to think about practicing Dharma. That's the way to think about it. It's not a burden. It's a blessing, an opportunity. I mean, it's, it's cake. My goodness, it's cake compared to what samsara is without it. The great thing about it is that if you practice dharma and create merit, you can make a better tomorrow. You don't know when it will ripen, but you just keep going. It doesn't matter. And you don't stop. And your effort should be, yes, heroic, but more consistent. Every day. That is the jewel, the nugget, the center of your day. And if you're sitting here listening to this and you don't practice Sundharma, then you're swimming backwards, making a mistake. But it's so simple because you really don't have to sit down and do, you know, the most uh, difficult practice every single minute. You can be practicing right this minute, right now, staring at me in your mind, you know. You can be practicing devotion, guru yoga, giving rise to the bodhicitta, eliminating judgment, eliminating fear, giving rise to compassion for all beings. And so that's, that's the way. It's, it's a method. There is cause and result. You don't wait for your ship to come in or um, wait for Santa Claus to deliver or wait for some great event where we all start singing the Hallelujah Chorus together because that's magical thinking and you'll die waiting. The Buddha has taught us basically in many different ways that the point of power, cause and result, are in this moment. Cause and result arise interdependently. When you give rise to a cause, you also give rise to the result. It may, it may be separated by time, may be separated by karma, may be separated by lifetimes, but it will rise.
There's no doubt about it. And right now, for the most part, you are experiencing the karma from previous lifetimes. So you can look in the mirror and say, well, I must have done something right. I'm wearing the robes. Well, don't stop there by looking in the mirror, will you? I mean, look there long enough and the view stinks. So, <laughs> so just realize that you have this opportunity. I mean, really take hold. You must have worked so hard for this. And here you are. And you can give rise to cause and result in this very moment, this very moment, that will change not only this life, but every future life until samsara ends. The point of power is in the present. The present is this moment, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not three-year retreat someday when you're in your 70s. It is now. This now, this today. Generate the deity, give rise to the bodhicitta, gather merit, and continue to practice sequentially, stage by stage, until you achieve what you, what you can achieve, which is recognition of the primordial state and true liberation, so that you too can return for the sake of beings for their future happiness. So that's it. It's that simple. Simple and hard. Simple, simple because you have the power in your hands. Hard because you just can't say, I wish, I wish, I wish, I hope, I hope, I hope. <laughs> and, and hope you'll get it. It doesn't happen. So I hope you get it. Just like, I see some people getting it. I see some people going, whoa, I've been really off track, and now I'm really getting back on track like this. I'm so worried about being off track again. And that's good. Even realizing you're off track is good. Realizing that you've come all this far and you know nothing is good. But on top of that, you should also recognize that this moment is the moment of power, of change, of recognition, of liberation, whatever you make it. This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot